When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Manning, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, John Schneider, where today we're going to talk about the Hokies' unfortunate and embarrassing 2017 loss to the Old Dominion Monarchs on Friday. John, how are you? <laughs> well, I'm okay because it's life and it's football and it's not the end of the world. It's very disappointing, I think, in retrospect. The only thing that I want out of all of this is somebody to say, we're not going there anymore. We're not playing there anymore. We're not going there anymore. Well, unfortunately, you've seen the contract. So we're going there for quite several years, including 2024. So uh, I look at it as an opportunity to finally get past this ODU hump and start whipping them like we should in the future. I mean, yeah. I'm just trying to keep an optimistic view right now. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's just start off. Okay. 2017. What did you think was the turning point of Friday night's game? The interception that bounced off of Jalen Holston's chest and into the waiting arms of whoever the defender was that was surrounding him. I think before that, it was still a controllable game and we were still in the lead and in control. I think after that, all of the air came out of everything. Yeah, that's a good point. And you can look back on Holston dropping the ball or if Wells should have maybe just chucked it out of bounds. I don't think it was a terrible decision. The running back's got to catch that pass. You still probably wouldn't have got the first down. However, you would have punted and deep into their territory, which meant they would have had to drive the entire field with three minutes left, which is much more difficult the way the Hokies defense was playing on Friday night. For me, I thought the turning point of the game was the block kick. It was the bad snap. Well, not the block kick, the bad snap that went back for the touchdown because I honestly thought we were up for a three-touchdown route because our offense was moving the football. And they had no energy. Their quarterback was terrible. Our defense was looked really good. From that point on, you gave them hope. You gave them life. And it seems like we could never just get out of our own way after that point. Well, yeah. And thinking about that whole thing, that mistake is the pivot point. Like I said, the air came out when Jalen, unfortunately, did not catch that pass. It was kind of a surprise. I don't even think he looked ready for it. And I think it had smoke trailing off of it. I think Wells put every bit of mustard he had on that ball to get it to Holston. And that's not a real great formula for a running back. You just don't well, throw the ball at a running back that hard. You know, it's really hard for them to catch it. Looking back, and I could say, what's third down? So you want the guy who's the bigger, stronger back in the backfield to run the ball, to, to show you're going to run the ball, which everybody knew we were probably going to pass it. I can't remember the distance. It seemed like it was third and seven. We stayed in third and long Friday night. 
Yeah, it was bad. It was, it was horrible. Some people would wonder why wasn't Keyshawn King in the in the game on third down because he fits better as a third down back than Holston. But I'm guessing they wanted to give that impression that they wanted to run the ball between the tackles to burn time. So I think that that plays into why Holston was on the field instead of King. But looking back, I mean, there's we're going to go through some numbers here, and and there's some some sad numbers that tell the story because you know we're not trying to be homers here and say the Hokies beat themselves. But if you look at the numbers, the Hokies truly beat themselves, John. The only difference in the game was that turnover and the other turnovers where every single point ODU scored was off of a turnover, whether it was directly or whether it was a really short field that was almost impossible to defend. That's an outstanding point. Every All 20 points came as a result of a Virginia Tech turnover for which there were five Virginia Tech turnovers. We, we can look back at those turnovers, John. One, of course, was the return for a touchdown on the bad snap, but there was the, the four interceptions, and, and I'm going to give him a pass on the final two because one, one went off Holston's hand. Last one was just a Hail Mary attempt to, at the end of the game, but the first two, it was decision-made. Well, I think the first one may have been a miscommunication between him and Caleb Smith. I mean, you always blame the quarterback, but I'd have to look at that a little more in depth. On the Caleb Smith thing, supposedly Smith did not play very many downs afterward. He pulled up lame on that route. He was supposed to be there, but he wasn't there. He was evidently hurt and spent most of the game hurt, so... That was directly from the interview that there's only like four minutes from Pry. But the question was, what happened to Caleb Smith? And it looks like something happened to Smith. We haven't heard directly. I haven't seen anything on Twitter or anything to say what happened. You know, I haven't seen any any motion in that direction. And for the most part, remember, college football teams aren't responsible for having to report injuries. So it's kind of voluntary. And at this particular point in time, we'll see. But there was supposed to be a receiver on that route. And there was no receiver because, you know what, that's the exact same pass that they threw in the spring game to Caleb Smith twice for touchdown. Price said it wasn't serious on the Smith injury. He didn't detail exactly what it was, but nothing that should keep him out long term. But I don't think they want to take any chances with a guy who they believe is going to be the number one wide receiver this year. Yeah, and that's kind of what Price's point was. He said he's our best receiver. And, of course, that puts your passing offense, your deep passing offense. And, yeah, you think Cole Beck, but you realize Cole Beck hasn't had the reps with Wells, you know, over the spring and everything. So it's one of those situations that that's going to take a while to bloom. And so Smith was the only deep receiver he had available. And if Smith was off the field, it wasn't going to happen on that one. I actually got ambitious and printed off the stats. And you look at the the general stats and you go, ODU did not win this football game. If you didn't see the score, you'd go, well, uh, ODU didn't win this football game until you get down to the turnover. Yeah, the second interception that, that Wells threw, I think, was more of a, you shouldn't have done that. The corner was sitting on the route. It was an out route across the field. It's just a just a mistake on his part. One he, he I'm sure he'd like to have back. And and, and to Wells' defense, he sat there in the locker room and, and took it like a man. And, and even though all four interceptions were not on him directly, he took responsibility for him. You love to hear it. And I think there's some good to come out of Wells' game on Friday. I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that crushes everything he did because he can sling the ball. He's he's fairly accurate on some of those throws, and and he's tough. I mean, he hangs in the pocket. How many hits did he know he was going to receive, and he took and he stayed in the pocket? I mean, I like him. I don't think he should be benched right now. I don't even think we should talk about that. I think let's let him play for a few weeks, see what happens, and if the interceptions continue, then you have to move on. Yeah, and I don't think they will. 
in a passing offense, interceptions are always that risk. They're always going to be at a higher level. What I saw, though, about the passing offense that we had is you could tell we did not have the receiver, not necessarily preparation, but the receiver acclimation to the speed of the game and what's going on on the field. If you didn't notice, and I was saying so in the little conversation we were having on the comments on the thread, I was watching the receiver routes as they were being run. When you're running crossing routes and out routes, the receiver is not supposed to bend the route back toward the line of scrimmage. They're supposed to bend the route up toward the goal line, especially because if then the play breaks down and you end up going to the second or third read, there's one or two of them that's supposed to be designated to take off and run down the field. And you get a kid with a live arm like Wells, suddenly you get somebody blows by a safety and it's he's wide open, right? They were blocking, you know, Wells only got clocked a couple of times pretty good, but he was only sacked once for nine yards. And that was actually, he took it on purpose because there was nothing open and he just decided, I guess he couldn't throw it away. And so he just took the sack. ODU blitzed a lot Friday and I thought our offensive line did a good job of picking up the pressure and he, he was hit several times, but like you said, he was only sacked once. And I think sometimes it was more of a holding the ball a bit too long, waiting for something to develop where the offensive line always gets to blame when, when the quarterback gets hit, but that's not always the case. But I think protection was pretty good on, on Friday. I'm really happy with the offensive line. You're not going to believe this, but I saw something on Saturday that gave me great hope. What did they run? They ran a counter tray. Actually, they ran a counter tray several times, and ODU didn't know what to do with it. Keyshawn King broke free on several of those. So... They were drive blocking yesterday. If people who don't see the line doing their work suddenly start to realize you look in there and those guys were pulling and they were drive blocking. And it was like, wow, that's a revelation. We haven't seen that in a long time, have we? No, that's that's true. And I believe we're going to like this Joe Rudolph offensive line and, and running game. Another stat I wanted to touch on, and and I know you're going to be in agreement with me on this, 15 penalties for 106 yards. I mean, five turnovers and 15 penalties, you're not beating anybody, no matter how much more talented you are than the opposing team. No, because you're handing them yards, you're handing them situations. The one penalty, more than any of the penalties that killed us, of course, was the fourth down and long and the ball that was thrown to nowhere, and we still had defensive pass interference. Why did that happen? Because it was a sucker ball. I know what that play is. I've seen it done a million times, begging for a penalty. And it's because you see the defensive backs are behind the play and they're not turning around to spot the ball. Because if the defender on that play, and I'm not going to name a name, okay? We know who it is, but I'm not naming a name on this one because... They played their butts off on Saturday, Friday night, and I'm just not going to point that bloody finger. But what I did see was way too much, and the defensive secondary coaches are going to have to get these kids to turn their heads around. They have to stop guarding. They have to get their head cranked around. Because if he had his head cranked around, he would have seen that the ball was way, way out over everybody's head, and there was no way to catch it. And he could have backed off, and that wouldn't have been a penalty. It would have been a turnover on downs. I totally agree with you. I touched on that on my uh, five takeaways that we had at least three plays there. 
there was all in the second half where our defenders had good coverage on the play, but they didn't get turned around. That's going to go against you every time, especially when the, when a quarterback underthrows it and you're not turned around, you're done for. You're done for, and that's what Wolf did. And the other thing is, is that you get turned around and you see the ball and he underthrows it, that's a pick. You catch the ball. Yeah. I want to touch on a pass interference that I don't think should have been. And I think this was another turning point in the game that we really didn't, that nobody really focuses on. But what about we were driving there on the field goal that was, that went for the touchdown, that was the bad snap. We were driving and Wells completed one for a first and goal inside the, about the five yard line, somewhere three yard line maybe. And on that play, they called Kakovitskis for a offensive pass interference. Looking back at that, that was a lame call. That's another turning point in the game. Yeah. And if people didn't notice, okay, there's a lot of times people complain about bad referees, okay? It was a very poorly called football game, balance-wise, as far as who was doing what. We got called, we got hits with so many ticky-tack calls. And then that pass interference is like, wait, he wasn't even three yards down, three, four yards down. There was no way. It was not a pick play. It wasn't anything. It was nowhere near. So basically, it was on that boundary between when you can make contact and when you can't make contact. And 99% of the time, most referees are not going to call that, especially that close to the goal line. And they called it. And I'm like, nobody calls that one. There's just so much traffic going on down that close, and there's so little yardage to work with. Refs don't usually call that one. Why were they calling that one? I I don't know. I don't know if they were getting chippy on the field. The referees were getting short-tempered with the players. I do know the fact that Tech wasn't helping themselves because they also were screwing the pooch big time every once in a while going out there and just having, like, brain meltdown something i won't use the other word but i mean it it was literally just doing procedural errors like lining up okay when you say you've got a guy lining up in the backfield and you got too many men in the backfield and then you look back at the film and you go wow what is he kind of running out there with a little ruler and measuring the six inches the guy's butt is in the backfield for or the receiver is in the backfield, you know, receiver usually checks over with the side judge and says, hey, am I on the line? Did the side judge tell the kid he was on the line and then they called it? I don't know. Now, it was the first game of the year for the refs, and you can forgive them for that. But I was not impressed with the refereeing. Yeah, well, now that we focused on a lot of the whys Virginia Tech lost the game, let's look back at some of the positives. And, and I do believe that there were positives from Friday night. John, what did you see that gives you hope? I saw Tyler Bowen taking chances. I saw an offense that did not limp it in on first down for most of the game. He did something interesting or different, whether it was a run or whether it's he opened the game with the passing play. So I saw that Tyler Bowen looks like he's going to be pushing things. Now he's still got to have some of the personnel that he really needs to have. And the defense. I think the defense is going to be fine. I think the defensive backs need some more work. They need to turn around. But that's what I think. I don't think we're going to have a defensive problem. And I don't think BC's an automatic loss, by the way. I just don't. We'll go over it this week, but I don't think BC's an automatic loss. I think this is a learning curve game, and I think we're going to be better next week. And 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 as far as Wells goes, I, I thought that I like the aggressiveness by Tyler Bowen, and we need to continue that. I love the fact that we got our tight ends involved. Gallo had seven catches. I think Dooley has had a couple of catches as well. 
I want Lofton to be more involved. I think he's a special player. And as far as defense, Nasir Peoples and Dax, I thought they were outstanding. You look back at the game, Dax was everywhere. So so was Peoples. Peoples was bringing that mentality that Virginia Tech DBs are known for. You love to see it. So I, I was encouraged by some things. The reason that I'm not as upset as everyone, I'm upset, you're upset, we're, we're all upset, but the reason I'm not like some of these, the message board warriors is because this is the first game of a new era, a new coach. The optics of this game are bad. You lost to Old Dominion and Norfolk. Yeah, we got it. If we can string together some wins, people forget all about it. Let's get revenge on them next year. But let's focus on one week at a time. Let's win some games. And you cut out the penalties. You reduce the turnovers. There was things to be encouraged about. Really like the defense. That's how I see it. Yep. I got to say, like I said, I cannot see an automatic loss next Saturday evening. I really don't. BC really is not that good. And not that they're bad, but they're still a peer team. And I think this team learned a whole lot about itself. And it learned a whole lot about what it needs to do. And I'm sure, I'm sure that there's going to be some serious running going on for the next couple of days and a whole lot of coaching up. I think there's going to be a whole lot of melted ear, ear holes coming up over the next week. And nobody's going to get any grace period. This is going to be hard work. And I think Brent Pry wants that win in Lane Stadium. And I don't think BC is going to walk away with any sort of fun time. I think the defense is going to bring it. And I think the offense is going to bring it too. BC lost a heartbreaker to Rutgers yesterday, 22-21. Rutgers isn't known as a football powerhouse, but they have improved over the past few years. So I know, but going into that game, I was thinking that was a BC win. So like you said, nothing's guaranteed. And Brent Pry, we're going to learn a lot about Coach Pry and and the team this week, how they approach things, what we see on the field next Saturday. So that wraps this segment up, right? So we're going to be recording on Monday night for our regular three-segment podcast and talk about the, you know, the preview for the BC game. And I'm looking forward to that. And Brian, what do you got to say? Go Hokies. Go Hokies. 